This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to helping you become a savvier marketing leader no matter your level. In each episode, we will dive into a relevant topic or challenge that marketing leaders are currently facing. We will also give you practical tools and applications that will help you put what you learn into practice today. And if you missed anything, don't worry. We put worksheets on our website that summarize the key points. Now, let's get to it. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to tackle the topic of building a marketing team and also why it's so important to work really from the inside out when it comes to the success of your business. This is a really important topic because when we think about hiring, unfortunately, we often think about that singular role or that one person that we need to fill whatever box, job, et cetera, that we have for them. And this is absolutely the wrong way to approach it. Each time you look to fill a quote unquote role, you should be reevaluating your team's structure and how said role is going to fit into the bigger picture. Yeah, and to clarify, we're going to be talking about marketing as a reference point, but what we discussed today is really applicable to building any team for any business. And so we'd also, as a leader of your team, you should have an ongoing approach and cadence of thinking through the overall team and how it's structured, how well it's functioning, what level of optimization you need to be able to give it in order to make sure you're getting the most out of your team at any point in time. Yep. And as we often like to do, we decided to bring someone on to discuss this topic and his thoughts and his approach to building a team. And that is Tim Parkin, president of Parkin Consulting. Tim, would you like to introduce yourself? Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited for this conversation. It's right up my alley. You know, I'm an advisor and a consultant, and I help marketing executives maximize the revenue and results of their marketing teams. So this is the perfect conversation. (laughs) Therefore, the reason you're on the show, right? So, (laughs) Love it. All right. With that, we'll get into how to build a highly effective marketing team. So number one is find the right aptitude and the right skills. And maybe this one feels like a, well, duh. But it's always super, super surprising to us how often hiring the right people is a struggle for companies and for managers, quite frankly, overall. And ultimately, this does go to the point in the intro, which is that that whole one-off approach that we talked about and what this single person is going to do versus looking really high level at the entire team and what is needed is, quite frankly, often a miss. So we've talked about hiring not only for skills, but for aptitude. And this is also extremely important because really what you want to know is what can this person do when they arrive, but also what are they capable of longer term than that? And that mm-hmm. is really that aptitude that we're, we're speaking of here, right? So can they grow and achieve more with proper guidance in the organization? Can they utilize the support of other team members? Can they fit in uniquely into the organization in its entirety in a space that's much more than just the things they're going to do? We know, yes, of course, experience and skills, that's great. It's its always good when you get someone who's not totally green, right? We all mm-hmm. love that. But when we think about a high-functioning team, every member needs to be on a path to growth, and they must have the mindset for that, right? So always learning new things, trying to uncover new ways of doing things, um, improving the team structure, right? That's more that aptitude that we talk about. And then finally, fit with the team is hugely important. So we talk a lot of times about the fact that you'll not always like the people you work with. Totally true. But mm-hmm. you have to be able to find a mutual respect at the very least. And that culture of the team can ultimately really make or break how well a team can perform. 
We always say respectful debate is really, really at the crux of this. Do the team members feel comfortable? Are they committed to being the best they can be each day? Is there open and honest communication? And all of that should lead to an elevated team performance when it's working right. So the people on the team must believe that they are stronger and better together and that no one person is more important or more capable than the other, which means that that individual's importance will never trump that of the whole team's ability. And therefore, that's that whole culture of the team, making sure it's all working together. And Tim, I know you have some perspective here to share on the side of what happens when you don't have that highly functioning team. So love to hear your thoughts. Oh, do I have some stories to tell? (laughs) I think this is just such a powerful place to start from because this is one of the biggest issues when it comes to hiring is we think that we need to hire people with skills or with experience. I believe experience is irrelevant. You know, I have no formal training in marketing. I don't need it. You know, the Mm. one thing marketing does is it changes. Um, But the other thing that's true about marketing is marketing is about people. And that Mm -hmm. includes the people inside your company, inside your team. And so I I love this conversation and the points you guys are raising here because thinking broader, thinking bigger picture about people, it's not necessarily about skills. It's not about experience. Most of the issues that I see within the teams I work with are people issues. They're ego Mm -hmm. issues. They're communications issues, uh, project management, collaboration issues. It's not really about marketing. And so hiring the right people, what you guys are saying, who have the right aptitude and who can grow is extremely important. And the other thing I'd say is culture. I've seen so many issues where there's not a culture fit, where you hire someone that doesn't you know, fit your team's culture. I used to think this was a buzzword, culture, when I first started. Uh, but as I become more seasoned and experienced you know, over decades now, I see it really matters. Yeah. Uh, you, you, it's hard to put someone who doesn't fit in your team. It'll spoil the whole team. And so you have to be very mindful and very careful to find the right people with aptitude, as you described, and you have the right culture fit. Yeah, I got to agree with you. And you you hit the nail on the head. And we talk about this all the time, too, is that when you have a breakdown in your team, it's almost always a people problem. Whether you're not getting the right results, whether or not you're not growing as fast as you want, whether or not the team is not vibing, it's almost always a, a people problem. It's almost always established by the fact that the leader didn't establish the culture to begin with and isn't really being honest with regards to what is the right fit. And, and that's sometimes where we get into these um, these issues is that we tend just to hire for skill, right? We're like, oh, I really need somebody who's really good at this, fill in the blank. And so you hire for that. And then you think that's going to be okay because as long as the team has that, then everything else can actually be okay. But it's actually the opposite. It's like if you can bring somebody in that actually is a is, is somebody that is going to be that person that you need within the team, you can usually teach them what they need to know. And my perfect example of this is when I actually switched to um, out of R&D into communications, when I went to go interview from that role, I had no idea about anything about communications, no <laughs> idea. And my boss was like, well, I know communications, but I need somebody who understands male grooming. And I'm like, oh, well, I come from male grooming. So I can bring that to the table. And he's like, well, then I guess we're a match made in heaven. I'll teach you communications. You teach me male grooming. That is where like it starts to become a very symbiotic relationship of, okay, let's all try to achieve this big goal that then we can actually discuss and have the respectful debate, which you brought up, April, which is another fantastic point of how we get there. But it can only happen, too, if that goal is bigger than any one person's role. If the goal continues to kind of be in the minutia where everybody is actually playing, then everybody always thinks that the role that they're playing is, quote unquote, the right way to do it, right? Absolutely. It's so easy to put people in boxes 
and to think that we have these, you know, four walls we have to exist in. Uh, but like you said, it's very organic. And I think that's the thing that makes the most successful teams or rather when there's an issue, it's because it's not organic. It's trying to be prescriptive about mm. here's your box, stay yep. in it and don't go outside of that box. And we designed this box for a reason. And we have to knock down those walls. And like you guys are talking about, um, hire people, align people based on more than any one person's role. We have to think bigger. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good point. I think it leads nicely to number two here, which is have a process that keeps everyone aligned but is flexible for growth. And mm-hmm. by now, you've you've heard me talk a lot on the show, and you know that I'm really very particular in my OCD ways, what? and I may have some control issues, you no. know, different topic for a different day. And I do like to have process, but I'm also one that's very quick to say if the process is too restrictive, there's absolutely no way that that's going to work either, right? Because you don't allow the flexibility that allows you to get to this sort of autonomous place within your role of the team where you can deliver and then grow. And like you just said, Tim, there's not like the four wall restriction around it. It's really important to the team overall because it shows everyone their place, right? So Anne talked about that goal that's bigger than everybody else, right? So the process should allow every person on the team to know, okay, what I do is this, and as a result, it plays this role in the bigger picture, right? It shows transparency, it shows how the work's going to get done, and it eliminates any sort of need for micromanaging. So I just said the word autonomous before, right? So having people on the team that have the ability to do the job, whether someone's looking over their shoulder or not. And that really culminates in everyone being able to work together, The process then needs to be a direct path to performance and performance review. Because again, in outlining those roles and you're putting those people at their place in the process or their role in the process or, you know, toward that bigger picture, then they need to be held accountable and they need to really understand very clearly what success looks like for them. And this whole idea of having process is where you can really prove out to the team that together they can achieve more versus what any individual can achieve because they can see through the process us the bigger picture of what they're going after. But again, I will offer that caveat of not making sure that the process is so restrictive that there's no flexibility. It just kind of gives guardrails versus, to Tim, to your point, boxing people in. Absolutely. You know, I've found um, from my experience that there's three ingredients to a real high-performance marketing team, and it's people, process, and alignment, uh, or or you could say purpose. Mm -hmm. And I think process is fundamentally one of the biggest challenges that I see on a daily basis with teams, I think most people think of marketing as more creative activity, mm-hmm. when in fact, it's much more of a process than most people realize. And so most of the breakdowns uh, in campaigns or whatever you're doing in marketing are the result of a lack of process or an assumption of process, I should say. You assume that there's a process when there is none, and that's yep. a big issue. You know, and uh, Edward Demings has a famous quote that says, if you can't describe what you're doing as a process, then you don't know what you're doing. And that <laughs> mm. may sound harsh, but I think it's <laughs> yep. true. And most of the teams I work with, you know, they're lacking, they're missing process and they need to establish and create and document and communicate and commercialize process. So it really is mostly about process. And that goes back to what we talked about earlier about the clarity and finding that uh, yin and yang and that balance between what do you need help with and what do I need help with and how can we collaborate effectively? When you work jointly on process, you can create that. Uh, And I come from a programming background and in programming, there's a term called technical debt. And that's when you don't do things the right way over time, all of those uh, omissions or 
you know, uh, areas you didn't spend the right amount of time on build up. All those shortcuts add up to creating a big issue. Mm. And I think we have the same thing in marketing with process. If you're not taking time regularly to invest in building process, then you're going to encounter a massive breakdown eventually, if not already. And so I would encourage anybody listening to this to spend some time in what I call process days, but, you know, uh, two hours a week, uh, one day a month, you know, uh, two days a quarter, pick your own cadence, but have the team have time blocked off to just work on process, to get together in small groups, to talk about what is our process, where's the breakdown in our process, how can we improve the process that we have, have those conversations, document those things and build process. That small amount of time will pay huge dividends to how your team communicates and collaborates and to the results they can produce. Yeah, and this isn't always an easy thing, right? Because a lot of times when people hear process, they kind of roll their eyes and sigh, right? It's just like, oh my God, are you kidding me? You're going to put more handcuffs on me. You're going to tell me more of what I got to do. And it's not really about that. Process is just a way of going about doing the work. It's not prescriptively stating how you have to do the work. And I think that's where a lot of people kind of get confused in their minds because they start seeing process as a restrictive thing. I think it was Steve Leader who said, and I think it was an actual study, is that when you had this big, wide open, playground and you had um, kids and they had like this, um, you know, all the, the equipment in like a centralized location, all the kids would like basically stay where the equipment was. But when you put actually a fence around where the playground was, the kids used all of that, you know, and so it was a, a matter of being able to um, go ahead and like feel okay, like in, in the acceptance to be able to actually use all aspects of that playground. And so process is just a way of being able to kind of set like those guardrails, but then also being able to find your freedom within the guardrails so that you actually know that what you're doing is going to like go somewhere versus being totally random and being, you know, just like out of the, the context of what's going to actually achieve whatever you want your, your marketing team to achieve at the end of the day. I love that analogy. I hadn't heard that before. It makes perfect sense. You know, I think people need definition and in order to collaborate effectively, we have to understand where those lines are. And it's not that they're lines to say, don't come into my playground, but we need to know, you know, what are you doing? How are you doing? And how can I support you? And if that's not defined, like you said, if there's not a conversation around that, then I have no idea. And yep. then I can't support you. I can't work with you because I just don't know. And I think even if there mm -hmm. is process in place, like you said, having those conversations and just realigning, because, you know, these things drift over time as new people are added, as things change, yep. as, you know, procedures change. So just because you said it once doesn't mean you can forget it. I think we have to keep revisiting and realigning to keep things in sync. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think your point is well made about taking the time, the intentional time. Right. So Absolutely. whatever that cadence looks like for you, I think that's super smart. Um, all right. Number three we have is conduct regular reviews to ensure people and process are working well together. So we've talked already about finding the people that believe in the team approach and are hired for aptitude as well as skills. We've talked the power of process. The role of the manager really becomes ensuring that there's continued and constant alignment of these two things. So, Tim, you set this up nicely with the idea of continuing to revisit and see how things are going. And yes, that was through the lens of process, but it's all kind of the collective approach, right? It's the intentionality of that manager or leader of the team to say, okay, I'm responsible for making sure things are humming along appropriately. And part of that is this regular review or check-in or, or that sort of thing. So 
In the intro, we talked regular reviews of the team and their progress, their growth, their success, and the manager really needs to regularly be evaluating and then optimizing, right? So Mm -hmm. seeing things that maybe aren't working as well as they could, even if it's not considered a problem necessarily, but it's like, we could be doing better here and here's how we could get there, right? It's that intentionality again of doing this on a regular basis to keep things at tip-top shape is the way that I like to think about it. And because the manager is not or should not, different topic for a different day, they should not be a doer on the team. So they really have the ability to see everything at that high level and then assist the team in continuing to elevate. And team goals and progress against these goals, both individually and together, help people understand what they're achieving and then how they have the ability to go and achieve those things. So It's also important to note here that communication really does flow both ways. So it's not meant to say that the manager is a dictator. This would be actually the opposite of a highly functioning team. So check out our vigilant leadership uh, Mm -hmm. episode if you're having some trouble there. But rather, it's that the manager should, yes, be evaluating, like we've made the point here, but also asking for feedback on a regular basis on how team players could see doing things better or smarter or faster, because they're the ones that are uniquely in it, right? So it takes the doer and then the manager making sure that this is something that they're doing on a regular basis and looking at how things are, but making sure that that dialogue is happening so that the manager gets kind of the best of both worlds, right? They're out of the doing but they're getting the feedback about the doing and they can really make sure that the structure of the team is working overall and then optimizing as needed. And Tim, I know you have perspective and examples here as well. So I'll stop talking and let you chime in. Oh, that's wonderful commentary here. I think the feedback loop you talked about is so valuable and so important. And oftentimes, so this is a big challenge for growing teams because when you have a smaller team and you're making that transition, you're adding more people there's just so much to get done, right? In marketing, yep. there's so many requests and demands and you know campaigns running and it's hard to do it all. And so we often don't take that time for that feedback. But as leaders are moving up, you know, as you're as you're leveling up, as you become CMO, you know, this becomes even more important. It's about those connections, it's about that feedback, it's about improving and growing and shaping the team. Uh, and so that it has a real intentional direction, not an accidental direction. Uh, but I think the idea here of having a, a shared sense of purpose and vision. You know, is so important as I mentioned in the third pillar. You know, alignment uh, or purpose. And uh, there's a famous story, an anecdote, which I believe is true, but I'll repeat it here. <laughs> it's okay uh, if it's not. <laughs> is that uh, you know, in the '60s, uh, JFK was visiting the NASA Space Center, uh, perhaps even the one here in, in Orlando with me. Um, but you know, he saw a janitor, you know, with a mop, and he went over to him and you know said, you know, hi, how are you? What do you do here? And the janitor responded almost immediately without hesitation and said. Well, Mr. President, I'm helping put a man on the moon. Mm-hmm. And, and this is the idea that I think we all need to embrace with our teams. You're not doing paid social and you're not doing uh, you know, creative design. Uh, you're all achieving a bigger goal than that. And mm-hmm. the team has to know that goal and they have to be reminded of that goal. What, what journey are we on together? When they understand that, not only do you create more cohesion among the team, but the decisions that they make, how they execute, how they think about their work, all of that is elevated. And this is the real drive and goal of a leader is to help set that direction, help communicate it to the team. And I think tangibly, you know, I recommend OKRs, the Objectives and Key Results Framework. I think it's tremendous. It's just so simple. It's so easy to follow. You know, uh, great companies have used this to wide success like Google. Uh, and it helps the team understand, you know, what are we really each doing here? How do we contribute to the greater whole? And tangibly, what does that look like for us? The work we're doing on a day-to-day basis, how does that tie into, how does that fold up into the big picture objective. 
Yeah, and I think this is, a, like you said, a big part of what a leader is supposed to be doing. But it's a lot of times what we'll tend as leaders to kind of push off to the side because, again, it's something that can cause some challenge conflict with regards to the team dynamic. And I think we've all been in teams where we've experienced bad behavior with regards to to team members. And we sometimes struggle with how to deal with it, especially if somebody is actually very good at their job. And we want to dismiss it for the sake of the betterment of the actual work, but we are in so doing, we kind of undermine the value that the team together brings in order to lift all the work up. And I think, you know, in that, I, I, I love the story of what you said um, about uh, the, um, the, the person who is the janitor, because I think it really brings to life that everybody has a role to play. And it's when all those roles come together and, and like really sync up that the actual work lifts. Yep. And if you have somebody that is kind of not operating in that matter, it doesn't matter how smart they are. It doesn't matter like what, you know, their background is and what, you know, the experiences that they bring to the table. When you can't get those those pieces to work in that harmonious way, you can't produce as good of a work as you can and and it never is going to be as good as you want it to be and dealing with people problems is probably like the hardest things that we have to do as leaders but if you have to have to have to if you want to be an effective leader manager you have to deal with the people that are doing those roles and then you have to make sure that each person as you said Tim realizes the impact and the power that they're playing in order to deliver that from the person who is enabling the work to be done to the people that are doing the work, everybody needs to come together in order to go do that. And it's the only way you achieve the really miraculous things that you're capable of. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll chime in here with a, a, a crude example, perhaps, but uh, <laughs> I love fast food. And uh-huh. so if you oh. compare and contrast, you know, uh, let's say Wendy's versus Chick-fil-A. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a night and day difference. Uh, the experience you get, the people, how you're treated, the process there. I mean, there's a Chick-fil-A down the street from me. It's about three blocks away. I go there all the time. Uh, it's the number one Chick-fil-A in Florida. It does an insane amount of revenue. Wow. Um, and it's one of the top ones, I think, in the country as well. But it's absolutely crazy there. Uh, but you go there and you're just treated like royalty, you know, and it's an amazing experience. And they've refined it, you know, perfect, perfected it, really. Uh, compare that to any other chain and your experience there. And I think that's what we're talking about here. Ensuring that you have the right process, but also that you have the people who can deliver on that and the two can be seamlessly connected and work together. I mean, the leadership there and just the company, what they've done, Chick-fil-A is absolutely amazing. I think it's an example we can all aspire to in our marketing teams. How can you have such an amazing process with such incredible people who deliver so consistently, you know, hand in hand? It's really a work of art. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's so funny you say that and very timely because we just had the former CMO of Chick-fil-A on yesterday for a record. Um, so, so depending on I when you guys launch, it. you might be back to back. That's amazing. Yes. But we'll just tell not everyone, intended. yeah, that you did not know that, which so. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a it's a great example and part of the reason we had him on the show. Right. And I mean, it's the least amount of talking Ann and I have ever done on this show because that man has more stories <laughs> than anyone oh, I've bet. ever seen. That's but incredible. But the richness of the brand and the experience, and I, I think your point is right on. And I mean, the amount of process. And the amount of process. There was yes. a ton yeah. of process. I mean, the things he talks to, right? Like no one can say it better than someone who's lived it in a brand that people on the other side speak about experientially the way that you just did, right? So yeah. so naturally, so off the cuff and the comparison, or really, I guess, rather the delineation between them and 
everybody else in the fast food space, right? It is. It's completely night and day. And it's because it's built through the lens of what we're talking about here with regards to everyone they hire from the people that run the stores to work in the stores to the corporate office and everybody in between. Yeah. And Steve will tell you that the purpose, the people and the process were the key to scale too. Yep. I mean, he yeah. it clearly articulated it. that. So yep. very consistent. So everyone be on the lookout for that it. one too. <laughs> the last thing I'll add there too is just, it's not just enough to be world-class as they are, but the thing that's exceptional about them too is they're constantly looking for improvements. You yep. know, I, I even yep. see it as a customer, uh, the continual improvements they're making to their process. So uh, don't settle for good, for great, for exceptional. I mean, keep pushing the boundaries here and, and they do that so well. I can't wait to listen to that episode. Yeah, we talked about that as well. Yeah, we did. I mean, I feel <laughs> awesome. this is we are weirdly in sync today. Yeah. <laughs> Deja vu. <laughs> All right. So number four, the manager needs to take the lead for prioritization and action. So we just talked about the evaluation and the feedback loop and making sure things are humming along, right, in the previous point. But really, it does become the manager or leader's job to make sure that the higher level thinking is there. And that's the result of both identifying those priorities, but then also taking action against them. So when we see a team that is not highly functioning, we see that at best, they're inefficient. At worst, they're completely paralyzed, right? So it's just a terrible place to be. And this happens because without the right people, without the right process, without that integration, people don't know how and why their role is important. So that means that they struggle with how to prioritize their time and get things done because they're not set up for success in the right way. So the role of the manager, we've talked about setting up the team for success and those evaluations, but then the manager has to be really active in assisting the team and using the process flexibly and the ability to pivot without misalignment, seeing where things might be going off the rails before it becomes a huge problem. And you'll be able to tell as you take action and continue to take action whether you have the right people in process to get the work done as well and if changes need to be made there. So, you know, Tim, you mentioned you know, a small team growing or bringing on new people or, you know, we've talked a lot with clients recently about people leaving and how mm -hmm. to find the right people to replace them, right? It all comes into play here. And the last thing I will say before I turn it over to Tim is, is culture is, it also comes back into play here, right? So this is an important point to make sure that the team is jiving, that the culture is rich, that it's authentic, and that that leadership is taking the charge where that's concerned and making sure that the culture really maintains its role as a high priority on the team as all of these different things are happening day to day, right? So it's kind of that, I guess I like to look at it like culture can be at a real high when things are going amazingly well and it can fall off easily when things aren't going well. And so both having the pulse on how things are going and then that overall temperature check of the team, culture really becomes the thing that I think gets left to the side until it becomes a problem when really it needs to be a focal point in everything that you do. And it has to start with the leader and what their role is in it and then what everybody else's role is to make sure that the team does continue to not just do the work, but work together well. Yeah, I think your points are, are so uh, poignant here and, and targeted in the sense that I work with a lot of people who are uh, new to the CMO role. Mm, yep. And it's a it's a hard transition for them because they're so used to being, you know, at the executive VP level, even SVP. And, you know, now they're at this higher level. They don't understand what it takes to kind of get out of the way, let their team <laughs> succeed and really equip them to, to do the job that they need to do. And I think also simultaneously, you know, uh, at the top levels, you have a responsibility, I think 
uh, to serve the people on the front lines, you know, yep. the new hires, mm-hmm. the people who are, you know, junior and connect with them and, and help them see, as we talked about before, that vision, that big picture, and also just understand and get a pulse for what's happening because relying on this kind of chain of command idea and this hierarchy is very difficult uh, to trust what you're hearing and to hear things in real time. And often, you know, when you're at the top of the chain on the marketing team, uh, you hear things far too late. Again, yep. marketing moves so quickly. So I think it's really important to leaders, you know, get out of the way, let their, you know, executive team run things and equip them to do that, but also participate and, you know, check in here and there with the frontline team who's also doing things. Uh, you know, one of the tactics that I um, really love is having these kind of weekly reports uh, that are very short, very brief, but give you insight. And more importantly, equip your team to be thoughtful about what's happening and where they're spending their time. And so I call this the three, two, one, and it's very simple. You know, if you're in Slack, if you're in Teams, if you're in email, whatever mm-hmm. you do, yep. uh, but basically have them email you or, or email in a chain uh, or Slack in a channel. We typically set up a leadership channel uh, and send this three, two, one. And it's three, two, and then one, as it sounds. The three is what are your top three priorities for this week? What are the top three things that you need to get done or you're working on? The two is what are two wins from last week mm. that your team you know, uh, celebrated or that you can celebrate on behalf of your team? And then the one is what's one insight or observation? What's something you're thinking about, you've noticed that we might need to talk about or be looking out for? You know, it could be an opportunity or it could be a potential problem that's coming up. And I've found that this really simple framework gets everyone on the same page very easily. It takes less than five minutes to do for everybody. And then the, you know, the CMO in this case gets all these and can see from their leadership team What's the big picture? What's happening? Where do I need to dive in? Uh, where can I back off? Because I know it's handled. And where do I need to kind of poke the bear, so to say, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. see how can I can dig a little bit deeper or maybe point them in the right direction to get them there. So I think that or having a weekly bookend, you know, what'd you start with the week? What'd you end? Yep. Uh, you need to have this kind of regular pulse check of what's happening, what your team's seeing and encourage them to be doing the same, you know, with their frontline employees and their team. Um, because again, if you're not, if you don't have some kind of cadence here or some way to check in and encourage this kind of thoughtful approach, then you're going to be flying in the dark and that's a dangerous uh, place to be. Yeah, I love this. Um, and I, I think there's three things that really rose to the top for me. One is the, the need to listen, right? Yep. And so it's not just listen at the, at the higher levels, it's listening at the lower levels too, to the people who are actually in it. Then the second is trust to make sure, you know, that you're, you kind of letting go a little bit and and really kind of deferring a little bit of that control to the people who are actually in it and understand it maybe a little bit better than you do. But there's also an element of being aware so that you can take responsibility, you can take action when you need to in order to be able to navigate any potential pitfalls or being able to facilitate um, in overcoming challenges or removing roadblocks. And that really becomes the role, the higher and higher you you rise in, a, in, in any kind of team, but especially in the marketing ranks, is really enabling the team. And I know a lot of the people that we coach, they they sometimes get into that place where, you know, they're not in it. And then they're like, what do I do? Like, what is my role? Like, how do I like, you know, actually have add value? And that's really what we tell them. That's how you add value is that you are responsible for making sure your team has what they need in order to be successful. You don't necessarily need to know the work or how to do the work, but you need to be aware enough to to be able to be effective. And then you have to be willing to take action. And I think that's the other thing, especially the higher up you go, the more responsible you feel for everybody below you, all the work below you, the business. And it becomes very, very overwhelming to the point where sometimes kind of like stops a lot yep. of folks from like wanting to take action or making a decision because like what if I'm wrong what if I'm wrong and that's again where you need to use your team 
one, to inform the decision. So don't make those decisions in a vacuum, which a lot of us tend to do because we don't want to ask for input because a lot of times we feel like we should know what the answer (laughs) is, right? And then two is share the risk. So make sure however, in whatever decision you're making, you know, share that risk for the people that are above you, the people that are you know beside you and say, hey, this is what I'm going to go do. Do you guys see any reasons why I shouldn't go do this? And make sure everybody's on board with the decisions you're going to do. So you're not the lone ranger out there, you know, who's going to rise and fall depending on one decision you make. I love that. And, and what, it, what springs to mind here for me is what, what I'm hearing you say and what I've seen is there's two qualities, I guess I call it, that a leader needs to have in doing what you just described. And that is simultaneously being empathetic while also being assertive. Yes. And I think that you need to think about those two things and how and where can I be more empathetic? You know, the best leaders I've seen have extreme empathy. Uh, and then also they're able to be assertive uh, at the same time, which feels like those two things should be mutually exclusive somehow. Yep. Um, but when you combine them in the right way, uh, it's extremely powerful. You need to be able to poke the bear and be assertive and call people out and make those hard decisions as you talked about, um, but do it in a way that supports the team and meet people where they're at and bring people together. As you said, that's really what this is all about is how do you empower and equip and drive the team forward and be the rallying cry for them to hide behind. And I think too, this maybe is passe now with the pandemic, but uh, I imagine that if you're all in a room together, anybody, any team or any you know uh, sub part of the team's meeting should have the feeling, the sense, you know, that the CMO, that an executive might pop in the door at any moment, mm-hmm. not, yep. not to check on them, yep. but because they're that involved, because yep. they're that present, because they're that walking around the office, so to say, and going to pop in. If they don't have that feeling, I think there's a problem. And I think you can change your culture to create that where you're more involved, where you're more present, maybe not every meeting, uh, but, you know, you, you show yourself and you're involved and you're appearing and getting engaged, getting your hands dirty and finding out what's going on. I think that's a really important part of being a good leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's an agency in town here where um, a friend of ours works, and he said that the, it's the practice of the CEO to pick one or two people a week to just call and see how they're doing, which apparently, and you know, as you would assume, can be really nerve wracking the first time it happens <laughs> when you yeah, see when you see his name show up on the caller ID. But you know, my friend, the, the point he makes is like once you realize that he's literally just calling to the point you just made, right? Of being in the know, being aware, knowing how people are doing, getting a sense of where people's heads are and that's his approach to doing it then that becomes a welcomed phone call right Mm -hmm. and so I think that that's just an example that anecdotally speaks to what you were just saying which is when it's part of the culture that that's a regular practice I mean not only is it not nerve-wracking but it's something to be appreciated and respected and it's one of the things that he will say is a reason he stays there Absolutely. That's brilliant. And I love it. Your frontline people are not just the ones who are, you know, doing the the hard work, but they're also your your eyes and your ears. Yep. And we have to be leveraging them for that because they have such tremendous insight and knowledge and value. If only we would ask them and listen. It's really that yep. simple. <laughs> and, it's, and it demonstrates a level of accessibility too, right? Yes. And yes. approachability. It's yep. like, I do care. I am here, you know, mm-hmm. so um, I can be an access point to for you and to you. Uh, as needed yeah, yeah or that, desired that, or whatever yeah exactly yep. right yeah yep. all right so just to recap how to build a highly effective marketing team number one find people with the right aptitude and skill it all starts with the people and ident- identifying those that believe a team is always more effective than the individuals who you're looking for Number two, have a process that keeps everyone aligned but is flexible for growth. Process is essential, but it has to flex with the team and the organization's ever-changing needs. 
Number three, conduct regular reviews to ensure people and process are working well together. You cannot have one without the other, and they must be fully integrated. And finally, number four, the manager needs to take the lead for prioritization and action. It starts at the top, and it must carry through the team consistently and continually. Are you craving a deeper dive immersion into the topics on our podcast? Then you will appreciate our virtual consultancy. Located on the shop page of our website, forthright-people.com, you can now download our digital coaching modules on vigilant leadership, culture building, and social strategy. For the cost of a book, you will get diagnostic tools and exercises to assess your current state and development tools to quickly and intentionally improve your proficiency. These are quick yet effective ways to improve your marketing savvy today. Check it out and let us know other topics you would like us to go deep on. And on to our next segment, which is in the trenches, where we give real-world examples specific to industries and situations, but with broad application so that anyone listening can digest and put them into action. So number one, we're having a really hard time in the existing climate finding the right people. What do you suggest? And the very first thing we will say, and you've heard us say it before on the other episodes, is do not just hire a warm body. And Tim made this point before in the episode, right? Finding the person that fits the team, not just the role you're looking for. We firmly believe that it's better to go without a person and do what you can, not to panic and insert someone just to have a set of hands to do something. We'd also say, honestly, it's a really critical time to look at everything we've discussed today and assess whether you're as highly functioning as a team as you could be. And this could very well be the reason that you're not attracting the right talent or you have talent leaving, those types of things. The saying that people leave their manager is very, very true. So as the manager, please spend some time reflecting. And if it's not you, is there something else that's going on with the team that could be better set up for success? We've talked about in this episode using these points to see if there are new ways of doing it, too. Could you get more creative, right? If your team's highly functioning and it's the current climate of things, are there ways to shift responsibilities, change process, get someone in that looks a little different that maybe doesn't fit, again, that role that you've outlined but can be really beneficial to the team in a way that you maybe haven't, quite frankly, tried it before? Could you divide a role up into more than one role, right? There's lots of different ways to really think about this, look at this. And I think a lot of people right now are panicking given the climate, but I think if you can embrace this as the time to take that hard look. If you've already been doing the things, hopefully, that we talk about on this episode and you're reviewing regularly, it might be an opportunity to shake things up in a really good way. And we feel like it could be an opportunity to kind of take the pressure off and decide, you know, is there something else, something different we could be doing in a, in a different way, quite frankly, that we could be differentiating ourselves as a result of that. Tim, what are your thoughts here? Uh, yeah, a couple things. I think all of it is great advice. I would just add to that to say, you know, the easiest way to find people at any time is to have them come to you to find you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so the more you can do yep. this, the more you can build the connections in your network, associations, partners, uh, you know, get people to come to you, make a name for yourself and uh, build a culture that attracts people rather than having to worry about finding people, you know, when you need it. Uh, the other thing I would say is to start looking now. You know, you're going to lose people. That's a fact. Yep. Uh, it's not a matter of uh, if, it's a matter of when. And so don't wait until you need to be finding people. Uh, start now. And there are many people, especially right now, who are living flexible lifestyles. Yep. And, you know, one of my clients, we're even talking to someone like this who's basically, you know, we're, we've assigned them to the job already, you know, and they're not going to start for many months and they're okay with that. 
And so start looking now. You know, you can never uh, start too early to find people. And the third point I'd say, and, and might get me into some troubled waters here, but uh, <laughs> be careful with agencies and contractors. I think it's an easy idea to think that we couldn't find the right person. Let's just work with an agency. Let's get a contractor and that'll be a good stopgap. Uh, if you desperately need to, maybe, but uh, there's a lot of complexity. There's a lot of issues. There's a lot of um, work still involved with bringing on anybody, especially an outside vendor or partner or contractor. So just keep that in mind. I'm a huge fan of in-housing. And I think what you guys are saying here makes a ton of sense. If you can find the right person, great. Wait until you can. Uh, don't take shortcuts here. Blasphemous. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, no, you no. know what? It's okay because, you know, there's, um, there, there is truth to what you're saying with regards to freelancers and, yep. you know, agencies. And actually, my suggestion would have been to really look into that realm and really think about hiring a freelancer or an agency in order to take some of that work off your plate and allow your talent in order uh, to actually focus on the things that they are really, really good at. So, and But I think you're, you're absolutely right, Tim that there, you have to be very considerate of the type of work that you're asking somebody to do. Yep. And so maybe it's a matter of, you know, you don't you know, bring somebody in to do like some of the biggest work, but maybe you need somebody who's going to PM your work, you know? And, and so that helps to kind of facilitate a, a little bit of a process while um, your folks that are who are more focused on some of the more the, the talent oriented or the skilled oriented work can then focus directly on that and not be actually you know, kind of distracted by what what do I do next? You know, what's my priority of things? So I, I totally agree that there is a lot of complexities and you shouldn't just pick somebody off the street. But I do think as, as the other side of that coin, it could help facilitate something in the interim. But you do have to realize you have to take the time to properly onboard somebody. You have to take the time to really make sure that they are the right fit still for the team. You can't just arbitrarily pick somebody and think that you can keep them out here while your team is operating in a totally different space. But that all being said, I, I also gravitate a lot to the point that you made about and I, I kind of equated it to my head about really showcasing your brand as a way to draw talent. And we talk about this a lot is that when you are showcasing your brand, you're not only trying to sell product, you are trying to pull talent. You're trying to make people come and say, I want that brand or I want to work on that brand. And I think the most telegraphic example I can think of on this is when I was reading uh, Richard Branson's Finding mm. My Virginity, right? And he talked about how he was recruiting for um, Virgin Atlantic. And he's like, um, if you have purple hair and you don't like sitting behind a desk and you just like talking to people and, you know, and he had all these like really great psychographic ways of like depicting like the type of person he's wanting to bring into his brand. Get more creative with your with the way that you actually are trying to recruit people. Like I, I see still so many ways that people are putting job postings out and they feel very generic. They feel very much like, okay, this is just a job. I'm gonna come in here, I'm gonna churn, I'm gonna burn, I'm gonna get my paycheck, and you know, that's great and all. So find better, more creative ways of showcasing that. And and that comes from marketing your brand, not only for the purpose of selling product or services, but also in order to make sure that you are putting that vibe out there that people might be attracted to that might want to come work for you, right? I love that. And I'll, I'll add to that because it's so uh, it's so perfect. Uh, I'll tell you a secret um, that, <laughs> that many people don't realize. And that is, if you're having trouble finding the right people, like you said, expand your definition of, of who those right people are. And, and there's a trick here. And that is the best people to hire are your customers mm -hmm. uh, because they yep. know you and they love you. Yep. Interesting, and yep. one of my clients is a pet company, global pet company. 
and they all have pets, no surprise, you know, so the meetings are always really great. You know, there's a dog jumping up or a mm-hmm. cat doing something, um, but they, they, no pun intended, they eat their own dog food, you know, uh, they are the customer. And so it makes perfect sense. So that's the first thing is if you can, uh, as you said, with, with Branson example, hire your customers because they know you, they love you. They're going to represent you really well. The second thing is influencers, you know, mm-hmm. influ- being an influencer today is hard work. Yep. Um, and these people are masterful. You know, they know the audience, they know the messaging, they can produce creative, uh, they're workhorses. I mean, it's absolutely amazing what these influencers can do. And so if you're looking for someone who's talented, who knows your market, who knows your audience, who has the connections, who has a big following, hire influencers. Uh, there's a, a big publisher who wanted to start a YouTube channel years ago, and they hired these two young women. And they said, we don't really care about this YouTube thing. It's probably nothing. Go do whatever the hell you want to do. You know, <laughs> I don't care. Make a channel. So these these two ladies made this channel and grew it to millions of subscribers. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. Of course, then the publisher came in and said, wow, look what you did. This is awesome. Now let's take it over and kick you off of it and make it corporate. And yeah, ruin tanked. it. Exactly. <laughs> was that PNG? Because it feels like a PNG thing to do. It wasn't. I won't name names here, but it was one of the big publishers, one of the big book publishers. And, uh, you know, it's it's crazy to see, but it goes to show that if you empower people, if you equip them, if they're creators, if they're influencers, you know, they can do amazing things. Mm. So I think your point about expanding the definition of who to hire is absolutely brilliant. I like that a lot. All right. Number two in the trenches, I have a team of super high performers, so much so that I'm starting to question my value as a manager and helping them grow. Help me. So first, what we would say is kudos to you for getting them where they are today. We would also say this is a common occurrence. So definitely don't feel like you're on an island, right? We all hit these points in our career where we feel like, oh, I'm humming along, I'm doing great. And then all of a sudden it elevates (laughs) or I get promoted or I get, you know, a new team or whatever. And it's like, oh, shoot, I don't know exactly how to do this. So uncharted territory is totally okay. And since you got them to this point, we have full confidence that you can get them to the next point, right? So what this likely means is you're ready to elevate, right? There's Mm -hmm. room for your team to grow if you elevate. And so, I, I mean, I'll be really honest. I remember when this happened to me and It's such an awkward transition moment, right, where you are an effective leader, you have this team, and then you're going to take a step up, which means you're going to take another step out of the work, right? And you're going to elevate people beneath you to do more, to take on more, to own more. And I think that the thing that was challenging for me was that I no longer was the main voice in the room. Right. And so I had to think about like, okay, what is my role going to look like? And we've talked a lot here, whether we're saying super senior people or just as a manager, really um, what I consider to be is more like the servant leadership, right? Of like being there for your team in the way that's going to be super powerful for them, help them grow, help them figure out their new role. And for me, this did a really great thing, which was it allowed me to focus on them instead Mm -hmm. of the insecurity within myself of like, what does my next role look like? And we all grew as a result of that. And we've, you know, we've also talked about listening here. I learned to listen first and speak second, which was the opposite of my previous role was to lead the conversation, have the answers, be the voice in the room, et cetera, et cetera. And so, It's a great thing to get to the point where you have a highly, highly effective team. When you get those rock stars, it's amazing. And you have to remember that 
they want to continue to grow too, right? They want to continue to expand their roles and do better and all those things. So giving them that freedom, but then propping them up and being there to support them. I think one of the biggest things we talk about with our coaching clients, when especially when they're in this situation, is you are still the leader. While you can't personally identify today what it is very specifically you can do for these people because they've grown so much, if you take the time to let them lean into the new role and be there to support them, they'll answer that for you. Mm -hmm. And then you'll start to see not only what you can do to support them, but what your role should become. Mm -hmm. So Tim, thoughts on that one? I think you should quit. Uh, no, I'm only kidding. <laughs> I hope you don't stop it there. No, uh, I think you're right about listening. I think it's a brilliant point. And I think the reality is that everyone is an imposter, you know, myself included. Mm-hmm. And we all yep. don't know what we're doing. Yep. Uh, and every day we're figuring it out. And, you know, that's uh, tough to accept, especially when you uh, are a leader and when you have a team of super high performers. You know, I would challenge the notion. I think that even super high performers, from my experience, have gaps. They have areas they need support. So I think like you said, you can really dive deeper with them. You can listen, you can see where they really do need support. There are areas still there to uncover. Um, But the analogy I would use here is parenting. You know, I have a three-year-old daughter. (laughs) So do I. (laughs) Perfect. That's wonderful. (laughs) You know, my wife and I were talking about this recently. You know, the goal in parenting, uh, we think, is to raise children who are, you know, better than yourself, you know, better people, Mm -hmm. more successful, you know, can contribute to society Mm -hmm. uh, in more meaningful ways. And that's really success. And I think it's the same thing here. Uh, once you have a team of super high performers, you know, it's a mission accomplished. However, your job's never done. You know, yep. I still call mm-hmm. my parents for help and advice. I still need yep. my parents, despite being, you know, a grown adult who's <laughs> successful and thriving. Uh, but it doesn't mean that I don't need them. And so I think as you parent your team, uh, you have that same uh, level of responsibility and role to play. And they still need you, whether they want to express it or not, whether it seems like it or not. Uh, there are those times where they need uh, to be reminded of certain things or they'll need help and they may not call out to you for it. They may think they can do it on their own. And so just pay attention to that. And I think your role changes, it shifts when you have a team of super high performers, but I think you still have the same responsibilities just in a different light, in a different context. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I'll give it the perspective from the other side of parenting because I have a senior who just graduated from high school and I have a one This could be a sophomore in high school. And everybody's like, oh my God, are you going to miss, you know, your daughter when she goes out to college? I'm like, no, I'm getting a hobby. I'm like, you know, so I'm like, it, it creates space in order to think about new things. And I think that like, you know, not that I have a perfect course, I'm going to miss her and I'm going to be sad that she's gone. But I think, you know, that continues to be something that a lot of people struggle with when their kids leave from home. And if I'm going to you know, play out your analogy a little bit, it's like they either get stuck in trying to keep their kids close Or, you know, they decide, okay, I'm going to send my kid off and I'm going to find something new to go do. And I think this is the same analogy here is when your team grows up, you have the opportunity to redefine your role. And we talk a lot about, okay, you can't work on your business and in your business at the same time. And that is a really big and hard transition for a lot of people. And it depends on, you know, how acclimated they get as, you know, based on how fast that they move up. But a lot of fast movers, they have a really hard time acclimating to that. And they're like, to your point, it's like, it's imposter syndrome. It's like, okay, now that 
when I'm no longer doing the work, what again is my value? And then you find that, okay, well, then my value becomes, okay, how do I drive my business? How do I make my team better? How do I mentor and coach these people in order to become better people? How do I bring new people on and and establish a better way of fast tracking their success? I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that can be done, but only, only, only if you can get out of the mentality that somehow I need to be stuck in the same element of like parenting. I'll just put parenting in air quotes because I don't know what else to go do or I don't know how else to go add value. Use it as an opportunity to say, awesome. I Like you said, I've arrived. I've been there. I've done that. How do I now like do the next thing? What can I do now? And that becomes like a really freeing and that becomes a really fun exercise. If you can't do it on your own, a lot of people cannot, get yourself a coach. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's what we're all here saying. I mean, we all do that to some element of like, find somebody who can help you cultivate that. But don't get stuck in the feeling of that, like, I don't have no longer have any value because I don't know how I am adding value in the, the current context that I'm currently in. Absolutely. I agree 100%. I think that's, it's so important that we don't get stuck there, like you said. Uh, and it's it's an easy trap to fall into. So uh, I'm wholeheartedly behind too, having support, getting a coach. I mean, this is this is not an easy transition. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. if you have the right conditions here, you can easily fool yourself into thinking that, you know, it's all doom and gloom and that you're not valued and don't have a future uh, purpose when really you do. And it's just a whole new world, a whole different set of uh, perspectives you need to adopt and take. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. Number three and final in the trenches. You all clearly have a lot of experience in building teams. What advice can you offer from your experience? So my big thing is always give yourself some grace and ask for advice from those that have been there. So love this question. Also really bad historically at doing this for myself. So I've <laughs> therefore my advice to people who haven't been here yet. Maybe. Well, you haven't talked in the third person, so it's not yeah, horrible. That, that's usually when it's really bad. Um, So I always put a ton of pressure on myself to immediately know what to do. And and honestly, it's just not how it works. Um, We've talked a lot about listening to your team, asking them what they need, that continuous, you know, dialogue back and forth. Listening goes a long way to building strong relationships and it shows your team that you respect them. Um, The really, really big thing that I think gets missed a lot of times is to put your team first and always have their backs. And specifically what I mean by this is praising them in public and giving criticism in private. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, I think that leads to a lot of respect, right? It it might sound really dumb, but it it comes back to me treating people the way you would want to be treated. Um, But with that said, I mean, Tim gave the example before about the best leaders or not an example, but the the credentials basically or the characteristics of having empathy and being assertive at the same time. And that really, really struck home for me because it is a business. You have to toe the line and find the right balance of humanity, but then tough love on the other side. Um, and so I think we've we've just talked about how tough it can be when you're in the middle of it and all of those things. But, um, you know, your your team is is really the the um, reflection of your success or not as a leader. And if you look at it that way, I think typically you start to make the the right decisions and seeing how what you do affects how well they can perform. Mm-hmm. Tim, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, it's hard to condense anything uh, else in here. We've already covered so much ground on, you know, <laughs> yep. what it takes to build a really high performance team here. But, you know, I would, I would just remind people that nothing great is built overnight. That uh-huh. This takes mm-hmm. time. Um, yeah. I love your comments about putting people first. I think that's so on point. 
Uh, and also there's no right way to do this. You know, we've, we've yep. provided some recommendations, some guidelines, but every team is different. Um, you know, some of my clients are, you know, overseas and multiple countries. And so culture is different, you know, how people mm -hmm. interact is different. So yep. uh, there's no one right way. So keep that in mind. Uh, I would say though, uh, as long as you're open and transparent yep. uh, and you allow the best ideas to win and you communicate with your team about what you're trying to accomplish and align people on the vision, uh, the mission, what are we trying to accomplish? Uh, then, you know, the people, the process, the, the alignment will happen. And that's how you build a great team. Uh, and just remember, give yourself, as you said, grace. This this is not easy to do. Uh, it takes time. And there will be scars. There will be issues. <laughs> there'll be battles. There'll be egos. You know, all that is par for the course. But uh, it's possible. It's not rocket science. It just takes perseverance. Yeah, and there's a lot of testing and learning that has to happen. So you have to make some mistakes in order to get it right, too. And I think... You know, that's something that people need to understand is that it doesn't always go perfect all the time and you are going to make mistakes. It doesn't mean that everything's going to you know, fall off the rails um, before you have a chance to right the ship. But I, if I was going to sum this all up, I would sum it up into to four words. One is accountability humanity, transparency, and integrity. And I think those are the four things that I've admired most about the teams that I've been a part of and what I've always tried to instill in my teams. One accountability, especially for the leader, that this is your team. If your team is not functioning well, that is on you. And I say that all the time, and I'm going to say it again, because a lot of leaders will defer to the fact, well, you know, it's, it's my people or it's my agency or it's this. I'm like, no, you're the leader. The accountability rises and falls with you. You need to figure out what's wrong with your team. You need to go and you need to fix it. And then humanity is like just remembering that we're all human. Um, we have to treat people as humans. Uh, that, that you brought up that point about you know empathy um, you know, and, and how important that is, but also being able to use that as an input for decision making and actually making decisions that go with it. But being transparent, and that's where the transparency comes in and why you're making those decisions. Yep. So that you're not making the decisions in a vacuum. You are considering the, the views and, and the points of, of um, uh, feedback that you're getting from all different aspects of it. And you're making a decision based on that. And then integrity, which is basically do what you say and say what you mean. And that needs to be done consistently. I've seen too many leaders waffle because they're afraid of how, what it's gonna, how it's going to make them look in the, yes. the grand scheme of their leadership and how they want to be perceived. And when you lose integrity with your team, you have lost everything. You cannot have a highly functioning team if your leader does not have integrity. And that's the biggest way to undermine everything that's going on with your team. Because if you can't, team can't trust you, then they're not going to trust each other. There's going to be no respect there and the team falls apart. All right. All good words of wisdom. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Love it. All right, so our third and final segment when we have a guest is to turn it over to the guest and let them provide final thoughts. So, Tim, bring us home. Any closing remarks? And please let people know where they can find you. That's dangerous to give me such power here. <laughs> use it wisely. Use it wisely. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'll try my best. Uh, yeah, I, I think I'd remind everyone here, marketing, as we said, is about people. That has never changed. That will never change. And I think when we talk about building teams or, or trying to reach more customers, whatever it is, it's about people. Uh, but I would say the, the formula for performance is people times process equals performance. And mm -hmm. the only way that you can coast is downhill, which mm -hmm. means you have to be intentional about this. You have to put in the effort. You have to be working on this on a daily basis. So I would recommend figuring out you know, where you and your team can improve the most and start there. You don't have to change the world overnight, but you have to find a place to start mm -hmm. and begin there. 
and also if you want to connect, you know, I'm active on LinkedIn. You can find me by searching for Tim Parkin. That's P-A-R-K-I-N uh, or on my website, timparkin.com. Awesome. Well, it's been really great to have you, Tim. We really enjoyed the conversation. So mm-hmm. thank you for joining us today. Likewise, a real pleasure. Thanks, guys. All right. So just to recap, how to build a highly effective marketing team. Number one, find the right aptitude and the right skills. It all starts with the people and identifying those that believe a team is always more effective than an individual or the people you are looking for. Number two, have a process that keeps everyone aligned yet is flexible for growth. Process is essential, but it also has to flex with the team and the organization's ever-changing needs. Number three, conduct regular reviews to ensure people and process are working well together. You cannot have one without the other. You just heard Tim say that, and they must be fully integrated. And finally, number four, the manager needs to take the lead for prioritization and action. It starts at the top and must carry through the team consistently and continually. And with that, we will say, go and exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. We can help you become a savvier marketer through coaching or training you and your team or doing the work on your behalf. Please also help us grow the podcast by rating and reviewing on your player of choice and sharing with at least one person. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.